In the book of 2 Timothy in chapter 3, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles, please, to 2 Timothy in chapter 3. And I want to read the entirety of this chapter here today and share with you what the Lord has laid on our hearts. And talk for a little while in the message today on this concept or this thought, pressing on in perilous times. Pressing on in perilous times. Brother Matthew and his family will probably be watching this morning. And if not this morning in the days ahead, we'll see this. And he's always talking about the importance of pressing on. And press on. And this is not the kind of press, Brother Randy, that you use on your cell phone. Brother Randy has been talking about that. He'd ask Brother Johnson, now, do I just mash that thing on my phone? And then that's how I go to that. And Brother John would say, no, you don't mash your phone, Brother Randy. You'll break it. You just press it. And uh, he had uh, the brilliant idea that that must be what uh, you're supposed to do is just press it. He got the idea that Brother John maybe pressed his potatoes. He said, instead of mashed potatoes, you have pressed potatoes. But uh, this is not the kind of pressing we're talking about this morning. Pressing on. That is, putting the... Putting the motivation into place. When you don't feel like moving on, you move on anyway. You press along, weary pilgrim, press on. And you continue on. You don't, uh, you don't cease or you don't stop. Matter of fact, the phrase is used in verse 14 of our text chapter, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. That of a child that has known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scriptures given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And so the concept this morning is that of pressing on. Now, the first verse of chapter number 3, and we'll use all of chapter 3 this morning in the message at some point, and then into chapter 4, but the first verse of chapter 3 says these words, This know also that in the last days perilous times will come. Now, pressing on in perilous times. This was Paul's last letter, and he wrote to Timothy under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And it was a letter written from prison in Rome during his last imprisonment prior to his martyrdom, where they would cut off his head for the preaching of the gospel. There were two primary reasons for the epistle of Second uh, Timothy to be written. One was a general reason, and that is to encourage and instruct a young pastor in his ministerial work. The second reason was a specific reason, and it was to request Timothy, Paul's son in the gospel, to hasten to Rome and to visit with Paul that they may have comfort in his companionship. In chapter number 4 of 2 Timothy and verse number 9, he says to Timothy, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. In verse 21, he says, do thy diligence to come before winter, come before the last days, come before the close of this thing, come before the end of my life, hurry on down to see me because things are coming to a close. A man's last words uh, to the world are his most remembered words and it may be if he's uh, prioritizing them and in his right mind to do so, quite possibly his most important words. The last words that I, that I spoke with my granddad 
already while he was still in his right mind before he began to go far enough out to mumble and not to uh, say anything coherent at all. The last words that I had to him was a brief conversation about me leaving that evening after staying with him for about an hour and him not talking at all and me leaving that evening because it was time to go to church. Then when I said I gotta go, he I've been with him an hour. He hadn't said anything. When I said I gotta go, he looked at me and said, What are you going for? And I thought, all this time I've been here and you haven't talked and now you want to talk. And now that I have to leave, he said, what are you going for? I said, I've got to go. It's about church time. He said, are you preaching? I said, yes, sir, I am. I've got to preach revival this evening. He said, that's good, son. Keep on preaching. Don't ever quit preaching. Jesus is really what it's all about. And I'll see you in a little while. That's the last real conversation that I had with him. His last words were the words that were those that were important. Those that really mattered. I remember when my grandmother was leaving this world and she gathered the family around that Sunday afternoon and she told us that she had had everything in life that had ever been important to her and how that she had everything that she had ever wanted and how God had been good to her. And she praised the Lord and she encouraged every one of us. And then as she got to the end of what she had to say, she said, Now I want you all to sing a song or two for me. And we sang a little bit to her, and then she said, Now I'm going to go to sleep. said, I'm real tired. And said, I'm going to go to sleep. And said, I'll see you all in a little while. And she never spoke to us again. That was the last of it. But I'll always remember those words. The Apostle Paul is writing in these verses his last words, his final goodbyes. Not because he is sick, for he is not but because he has an impending case of martyrdom. He has, a, he has a chopping block that is waiting for his head. But he understands in chapter 4 there's also a new body with a new head on the body and a crown that is waiting for that head. And he will receive the reward of the Lord. In these verses and in these chapters, Paul is moved by the Holy Spirit to write about in chapter 1 the afflictions of the gospel. In chapter 2, he writes about the activity of the service of the Christian. In chapter number 3, he writes about the apostasy that is coming in the last days. And in chapter 4, he writes about the allegiance to the Lord and the allegiance of the Lord. He writes about his commitment to God and God's commitment to him. His faithfulness to God and God's faithfulness to him. And I'm glad the Lord will be faithful to you. That he will stand by you. That he will will not forsake you, and I desire in my heart and in my life to be faithful unto Him. There is no doubt that the Apostle Paul warns us in chapter 3 and verse 1 that perilous times will come. Our message this morning is primarily on that third chapter about the apostasy that is coming. And we are living in those times. I've heard it all of my life, and it becomes more true every day, every year in my experience of life. And our life times we've not seen anything like the most recent days. It's puzzling times. It is perplexing times. And these are perilous times. That word perilous literally means violent. It means fierce. It is use of demoniacs. It is wild, difficult, grievous. Grievous. The word means times that are hard 
to bear. It is times that are distressing, that are stressful, that are dangerous. The picture is of people turning here and there and not knowing which way to go or where to turn. It is an image of a time of uncertainty, uneasiness, anxiety, stress, worry, danger, and despair. Does anybody recognize what I'm preaching about here this morning? In spite of living in these perilous times, however, we can press on for our wonderful Lord. And the Apostle Paul shows us some things this morning that give us reason and instruction on how to press on in perilous times. I want to give you three things this morning and then a few things about those three things and we'll be finished with the preaching. First of all, I want to show you the perversion of perilous times. Secondly, the pattern of perilous times. And thirdly, the prescription for perilous times. The perversion, the pattern, and the prescription in these perilous times. If we cannot avoid the preaching about, in chapter number 3, the description that is given to us of the perversion of these perilous times. What, what, what will they be like? This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. In my estimation, in studying the Word of God, and in studying this portion of Scripture, and in trying to saturated with prayer. I believe that one phrase really describes everything that will come after it. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. The selfishness of humanity. The man-centric, self-centric nature of our world. It is me looking out for number one. Looking out for myself. Looking out for me and mine. And not caring anything about others. What are the things that are necessary that is necessary in order to follow after Jesus is to take up your cross, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus. In the last days, in perilous times, men will be lovers of themselves. They will look out for number one. They will look out for self. They will look out for their own self-interest. They don't care what happens so long as they're taken care of. So long as I look out for me and for mine. That selfish attitude Oh, God, give us people that are willing to give of themselves unto others. That would have a selflessness. That will be a have a servant's heart. That will have a desire to be a blessing unto others. But he says they are lovers of themselves. And I believe that every other characteristic we see in this chapter of the perversion of perilous times is an offshoot of that very thing, that selfishness. He says they're lovers themselves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful and unholy. And my friend, when we become unthankful, we will naturally become unholy. Without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, that word incontinent means out of control. We'll come back to a lot of these words in a moment. Fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. Why do they love pleasure before, before more than what they love God? Because they love self more than what they love God. Oh, my friend, that is their carnal appetite cannot be satisfied. Colossians said, whose God is their belly. That is, they hunger for more. They hunger for more. 
more. They hunger for more. And it's not hungering and thirsting after righteousness. As Jesus preached about at the Sermon on the Mount, it is hungering for more pleasure, for more satisfaction, for more help for more for themselves. They devour, they receive, they consume, but they do not give. And that is the attitude of the last days. Verse number 5 tells us they have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. For of this sort of they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women, laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts. He said in verse number 7, if that's not where we are, friend, I'll eat your dirty socks. Verse number 7, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Isn't it remarkable that all the things man knows now or thinks he knows, and yet he still don't know the truth? All the stuff that he's learned and all the things that he's figured out and all the Rubik's Cubes that he has solved and all of the riddles that he has put together and all the things that he thinks he knows and yet he does not know the truth and yet he does not know the gospel. It seems like the more we know as a society and as a species, the more idiotic we become in so many ways. We seem to learn the advanced things and forget the basics. We learn to be highfalutin, point-to-headed things and forget our ABCs. We're living in a society where we can put man on the moon, but we don't know which bathroom to use. We're living in a society where people don't have sense enough to know the difference between a man and a woman. We are living in a world where they know all sorts of complex things, but they have lost completely the concept of the simplistic and the basic things. Things you knew before you ever were old enough to go to school. And now men have been so educated they have become fools. Fools, my friend, never learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Verse number 9, Now as Jannes and Jambres, we preached about them not too long ago, withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Now I want to say something about that. Not only do they never come to the knowledge of the truth, but when truth is presented to them, like Jannes and Jambres, when they received that rod of Moses that was cast upon the ground, and it became a serpent, and they knew then that Moses was the messenger of God, instead of accepting the word of the Lord, they opposed the truth. They came out and said, we can do anything you can do. And they knew what they're doing was a farce. They knew that they didn't have power over God. They knew what they were doing was rejecting the truth, but they did it willfully anyway. And there are those that faced my friend with truth. They would not receive it if their life depended on it. They will not receive the truth. It's not that they don't know it. It's that they have refused it. They have resisted it. They have pushed it away. Men, he says, the Bible says, of corrupt minds, reprobate concerning the faith. That is, they cannot receive the faith of God. Verse number 9, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be made manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. That is, it surely as the rod of Moses that became a serpent swallowed up the rods. And my friend of Jenny's and Jembries that became serpents. So also will there come a time when God will reveal the folly of man. When God will reveal the folly of our foolish ways. When God will show us that He has supreme power and always 
he says. And that there is none higher above him. And so these are the perversions of the perilous times. And my friend, the Bible said in verse 13, that evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. We are not living in a time of less seduction and of less confusion and of less have my friend Tom foolery and witchcraft in the head in the dark ages we're living in a time of more of it we're living in a time where men have been captivated by and spellbound by the things of our time and while we dwell on the here and now the hereafter has been ignored as seducers that is those who are cunning as the Bible says of those who are seducers a cheat an imposter a liar oh there is much false, but there is very little trustworthy in our day. The marks of perversion in the last days are the marks of a reprobate world. A world that the Bible said in verses 1 through 4 is unholy. It is an unholy world. An unrighteous world. An ungodly world. If you don't realize that's the world we're living in, then you've not opened your eyes to the world around you. And we are living in a world filled with unholiness, ungodly no regard to God or to man. It is a world without natural affection. That is a hard-hearted world towards kindred. At my finish, a world without familial or natural love. We are in a world where people, at my friend, they honor animals more than they do humans, and that's unnatural. They honor and protect unborn animals while they slay unborn humans, and that is unnatural. They shield hunters from hunting legally during the times of year when the deer are carrying their young. Have my friend because they want to protect the unborn animals. And yet they find abortions with our tax dollars. And it is an unnatural love. We're living in a day where people will push their children away from their laps and pick their dog up and let them lick them in the mouth. And it is an unnatural love. When you can love dogs and animals more than humans, you are an unnatural. You have an unnatural love. And this past week was Earth Week. Earth Day. I'm one of the very few good things I've seen through. I've seen through this pandemic talk and all of the consumption of our minds with the idea, our concepts of a coronavirus, which has been around, by the way, as long as it's been common cold. That's a coronavirus. Y'all do know that, don't you? And this is a new edition of it. The reason why it's called COVID-19 is because there's 18 of them before we got there. And so, but the concept or the consumption of our minds with COVID-19. Had the one of few good things I've seen in it as most people didn't even know it was Earth Day this past week. How about that? And usually the media drives all sorts of sensationalism. And during Earth Week, the sky's falling, all the waters is going to turn rotten. We'll all have to be without anything to eat or to drink real soon. My friend, we might be without anything to eat if somebody don't go to work and find a cow and kill it. And if somebody don't plant a seed somewhere or another and if somebody don't run a truck we're going to wish that we have something to eat but it won't be because the earth is dying and it won't be because the sky is falling and it won't be because the rivers have quit flowing had the Lord made this earth to stand until Jesus comes back and the Bible tells us that seed and harvest time and rain and drought all these things will happen until Jesus comes again we're promised that we know that will take place 
But this past week I saw some who especially were frustrated that their religion and their worship of the creation more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen is what he said in the book of Romans chapter 1. Their religion of, uh, of my thin earth things. Their religion of environmentalism was ignored. And the one young lady with her friends standing in the woods and looking at the trees videotaped themselves and put their foolishness on social media and it was even covered in some places by the mainstream media and if they just felt like they had not done enough to save these glorious trees and if they needed to just scream and they began to just yell as loud as they could and they haven't figured out what that's going to do to save a tree but they did and they screamed and they yelled and they broke down into incessant cries and uncontrollable weeping over a tree that had not even been cut over a tree that was standing 50 feet high and was healthy and giving off my friend and processing its system of photosynthesis everything going well with it and they're screaming and crying and this is not natural affection and it is a person's mind and heart is corrupted and when they something wrong with a person's affections whenever they uh, take the love that should be shared between a husband and a wife and instead they share that love with a person of the same gender that is not natural affection how when a person might think has some sort of twisted mindset of perversion towards a person in their family instead of a person that God has put in their life to be their lifelong spouse and it is sick the world we're living in these are the marks of an age of perilous times. And the Bible said they would be truce breakers. That is absolutely the, the absolutely irreconcilable person who being at war refuses to lay aside his enmity or am I friend to listen to terms of reconciliation. It is one who cannot keep his word. We're living in a day filled with those. And the Bible tells us there would be false accusers. One who falsely accuses and divides the people without any justifiable reason. Otherwise known as CNN. He bears false witness out of sheer meanness. Unlike his father, the devil. Amen. It is men who are incontinent, the scripture says. Incontinence is to be without self-control. To be powerless. To be unable to govern your carnal appetite. To my friend, just be out of complete it is the opposite of being spirit filled the spirit filled believer has tempers he can control himself his words his actions his deeds because the Holy Spirit lives within him that the man who is filled with the spirit of God does not do what the world does that the man who is filled with the spirit of the age who is filled with the spirit of man who is filled with the spirit of the devil he cannot control 
control his actions. He goes out of control. He behaves himself unseemly. Amen. <laughs> Fierce. That's what the Bible calls him here in this verse. Fierce. It's a word we don't use a lot anymore. The word fierce means to be untamed. It means to be a savage. It means to be merciless and without moral compass. My friend, he said that the mark of the reprobate world would be despisers of those that are good. That is hostile to virtue and the virtuous. You realize not only this world hates this world, but not only do they hate what is right, they hate those who do right. Have they not only hate what is right, they hate you if you embrace what is right. They hate the preacher, they hate the church, they hate the gospel. They despise those that are good. They despise all that is right. And then there is a term that is used here where the Bible says heady or high-minded. The word heady means to be headstrong in the pursuit of a bad end under the influence of passion. In other words, to be carried away to behave on impulse, to act out of feeling without concept of thinking the thing through, to be slack, to be loose, to be foolish, one who opens his lips and speaks hastily and thoughtlessly. Somebody please explain to me how that that could not be our day we're living in. How we are living in perilous times and the mark of perversion that is in this time is that of a reprobate world. So the mark of this perversion of the perilous times is seen in the mark of a reprobate world. It is seen in the mark of a religion that is weak. Look in verse number 5, the Bible says, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. For this sort of they which creep into houses lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers lusts, ever learning and never coming to the never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. All Titus 1 and 16 says it this way. They profess that they know God. But in works they deny Him being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. The Bible says they have a form. That is, they have a tradition. They have a culture. They have a building. They have a platform to declare their message. They have a following on social media. They have a live stream. They have a Twitter verse. And my friend, they appear religious or they sound religious. Or they claim to have religion. Or they claim to have a word from God. But there is one identifying mark that causes us to forsake them. And that is they have no power. They have no power. I don't care if he has a slick silver tongue. I don't care if the church sounds and looks like what you'd expect the church to be. It doesn't matter to me, friend, if they have even a church hymnal or even a King James Bible. If they are not rightly dividing, if they do not have the power of the Holy Ghost, then there is nothing to them at all. If there is no anointing of God, then there is nothing to them at all. Without the Holy Ghost anointing us, we will not die. We are already dead. You cannot have His witness in this world without His witness within you. 
If the Holy Spirit of God, the witness of God does not dwell in your heart, you will never be a witness to those who are without. My friend Jesus told him, go back and tarry in Jerusalem to the, till you are endued with power from on high. And when my Spirit has come upon you, you shall be witnesses unto me. And in Jerusalem and Judea, and to Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Without the witness of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we can't be a witness to this lost and dying world. If there is no power, turn away from it. Dead, powerless, ritualistic. Our religion is weak. It has no authority. It cannot change the hearts of men. Have my friend the Joel Osteen and his ilk. Have my friend our television superstars. They are not preachers of the gospel. They don't have power from God on their lives. And my friend, if they have no power, we are to turn away from it. And this I feel necessary to say in the day that we're living in. This social media religion that you see is not of God. And I'm talking about, my friend, social media theology. You'll see a lot of things in these days. My friend, that is scattered and shared by a lot of people who are saved online. And my friend, through these social media platforms, and they think they have some sort of theological premise. They'll take about a half a verse, take it and twist it like barbed wire. And my friend, try to make some great theological truth about it. But your, your theology needs to be deeper than an Instagram meme. It needs to be deeper than a post on Facebook or a 160 character tweet. And your theologies ought to be based in the Bible and the Bible alone. On Christ the solid rock I stand all other ground is sinking sand. And my friend, I see a lot of things that they take and try to make applicable to our day. And they'll pick a number out of the air, find it somewhere in the Bible, and try to then justify a political position. That's idiocy. It's insanity. It is poor theology. If it is done by a preacher who knows the Bible, it may very well be an evil theology. He may be purposefully twisting the Scriptures to accomplish his personal means. A religion that is weak that tries to take the Bible and mold and make it into what we want it to be to accomplish the purposes that already reside in our hearts. But I tell you, a true Bible believer, a true religious convert, a true Christian takes the Word of God and does not try to make this book fit into our lives, but tries to make our lives fit into this book. We become compliant with the Scriptures. We don't seek to make the Scriptures relevant in our lives, but we seek to make our lives relevant to the of the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The starting point is not what I think and then how can I make the Bible validate my opinion. The starting point is what does the Bible say and how can I change my life to be in agreement to it. Amen. Amen. Everybody listening this morning. Is anybody listening? Anybody out there in Facebook world or television land or radio land listening, give me them thumbs up or something or other this morning. I won't see it now, but maybe I'll get to see it later. A religion that is weak. They have no power. Now, the Scripture says 
that these devils in the last days, these slick devils, will lead people astray into their folly. They lead captive, is the words the word of the Lord used, captive, to, to make one's mind captive, as it were to hold them spellbound or to have them in a trance, that they would lead captive silly women, that is little, small, immature, not serious spiritually. Oh God, help us. That is not just women in my friend, when it says silly women, that is to say as if it were frivolous little girls or to make people as they were gullible as a schoolgirl. And there are many of those full grown six foot two, 230 pound men who have been spellbound by the slick tongue devils of the world and led about gullible as schoolgirls listening to falsehoods from the devil and his crowd and listening to gospels that do not line up with the scripture and what he teaches us. Silly women is a reference to sissies. A person who is not man enough to stand against the psychology. A religious tomfoolery espoused by the deceivers of the last days. As a gullible old school girl, the religious people of the last days will be led astray by those who have no power with God. But my friend that they uh, give away to every lust of the carnal man. And that is, the scripture says, that's in verse number 6, led away with divers lusts. And with every lust of man, they follow those things. They offer a message of an open door to everything without saying anything. Everything's okay. Everything's all right. Open hearts and open doors. That's the marketing thing. Right? You know what that really means is you can come here and we will never utter a word about all the filthy garbage you've been living in. That's what that means. What that means is it's okay with us if you wallow in your sin. If you are right with God this morning and you love people that need to get right with God, it's not okay with you for them to wallow in their sin. Now you don't take it on yourself to become the spiritual police and try to demand of everybody to do things your way. That's foolishness. The Scripture never teaches of us that. But you do tell unto them the truth of the Gospel. And that is, except you put your faith in Christ. Jesus said, except you you believe in me, you shall die in your sin. They all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You need to be saved from your sin this morning. You don't just need to be saved from your struggle. You don't just need to be saved from your storm. You don't just need to be saved from your sickness. You don't just need to be saved from your difficult time. You need to be saved from your sin. You need to be saved from yourself. And if you have not been saved from sin and self, all the rest of the deliverances in the world that the Bible talks about, they'll do you no good in eternity. Heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. And it's time God's men and God's people begin again proclaiming the message that says Jesus saves, and He saves from sin. He saves from sin. That's the mark of a religion that is weak. They say everything, open the door to everything without saying anything. They embrace diversity of carnality. But they shun the power of God. Our strength is our diversity. That's sickening. It's sickening. I believe in every person being an individual. The Lord made you that way. 
God made you such that you sitting on the pew this morning, not a person in here, not a strand of your DNA is identical to the people in the other pew. We're all different. You're, even within families. I mean, John, uh, John uh, Timothy and uh, John Michael and John Alex, John Daniel, they share some, some traits. Uh, they share some uh, DNA traits and so forth. Uh, my friend, but every one of them have individual fingerprints. Uh, they're all different. Amen. John Michael grows up better have mustache than his daddy did at that age. Amen. And he grows a darker mustache than his daddy can now. Amen. I mean, friend, every one of us are different. And God made us to be different. But He also made us all subject to the same gospel. And it's not okay for any of us to sin. And we can't say it may be okay for you to sin do all these wicked things, but it might not be okay for me. No, if it's sin, it's not okay for me. It's not okay for you. It's not okay for anybody. Amen. That's exactly right. I never think with a title Christian is not Christian. I'm not saying we don't. There are no such thing as Christian rock. There is no such thing as Christian beer. There is no such thing as Christian fornication. There is no such thing as Christian lying. I'm telling you, all those things are wicked and sinful. And in this day where we've embraced everything and we preach against nothing. It is a mark of the last days. And it ought to tell you where, where people's hearts and minds is. I want to say something right here. And I, I know we broadcast live online and I want to. I'm going to say something right here while I'm preaching that maybe might get us kicked offline, but it's just a fact. I really don't care all that much if I ever eat in the dining room of a restaurant the rest of my life. I never really liked it to start with, just to tell you the truth. And I don't care much about the drive-thru, and I hadn't been through a drive-thru in six weeks. And I don't care much about the drive-thru, and I don't care anything about the restaurant. My wife cooks better than every one of them put together. I mean, if I eat at home all the time, I'd weigh a thousand pounds. I'm out, somebody said, I can't go out to eat and diet. Man, I can. I don't like their food as good as what I do what my wife is. If I eat at home, I can. I may be the biggest man in here if I keep eating at home for because my wife knows how to cook I don't care if I ever go back to a restaurant and eat in the dining room oh that's exactly right I, my friend I could live without ever going back to Six Flags or to Disney World though I enjoy recreation with my family or to Dollywood I could live without ever going back to Pigeon Forge or to Orlando or to uh, Myrtle Beach though I enjoy those things I church. Most of our world is not hungry to get back to the Bible. Most of our world is not hungry to get back to families having reunions. They're hungry to get back to the bars. They're hungry to get back to the liquor joints. They're hungry to get back to the sex clubs. They're hungry to get back to the strip joints. They're hungry to get back to my friend the beaches. They're on three-fourths naked. They're hungry to get back to the party. And back to the dope. And back to the drugs. And back to the buddies. And it is an indication we are in the last days and living in a wicked 
reprobate world. Amen. Amen. That's exactly right. You are not scared to hear that preaching this morning or else you wouldn't have come out to the house of God this morning. Some of them watching online just fell flat in their living room and passed out. But you're not scared of that or else you wouldn't be here. God help us. God help us. Oh my, my. Oh, blessed is he that hungers and thirsts after righteousness, for he shall be filled. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O God! That day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of our God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Oh, that's exactly right. One thing, have a desire to the Lord, and there will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. It would not hurt my feelings if all the bars and all of the naked clubs have shuttered their doors and the liquor joints shut down and the abortion clinics shut down. Well, it'd be a better world to live in. Well, that's exactly right. May God help us to prioritize what really matters in this old world. This world's hungry to get back to the party, but God's people's hungry to get back to the place where the children of God are fed. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. A mark of a religion that is weak are churches that have embraced diversities of carnality. They are cesspools of flesh, and yet they shun the power of God. We are told one thing about that crowd in the Bible. If they don't have the power of God on them, from such turn away. Amen. 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 God help us. TJ, I don't care how smart they are. I don't care how many scriptures they can quote, King James Version or otherwise. If they don't have the power of God on them, the Bible says from such turn away. Amen. Oh, hear me. I believe in studying the Word of God. I try to dive into this book. I will consume it. It is my meat day and night. I wake up in the middle of the night dwelling on it, repeating the verses, walk through my day studying and meditating on this book. It's the only thing that keeps me sane in an insane world. But hear me, I had rather be an illiterate man who could not read a word of this Bible, but had enough of a Word of God in my heart to know I'm saved. And then have the indwelling of the Holy Ghost. And to have walls of diplomas. And hordes of information. And miles worth of uh, my friend things that I've learned. And not have the power of God on my life. And without the Spirit of God, you'll not discern this book. You can memorize it. You can read it. You can study it. You can research it. But without the power of God, you cannot discern it. It is spiritual discern. shows us the perversion of these times. Mark of a reprobate world. Mark of a religion this week. Mark of a revealed wickedness that takes place. 
in verses 8 and 9, Jennies and Jambres, those Egyptian magicians that Pharaoh presented in opposition to Moses when he came, saying, I am has sent me to tell you to let my let his people go. Uh, they wrought false miracles by the power of the devil. Their rods became serpents, but Moses' rods swallowed up their serpents. Their power was devoured by real power. They opposed God's, God's man, God's word, God's plan. Oh, and they did it openly and wickedly while declaring themselves to be something. That this kind of rebellion and opposition of God will have an end and God will stop it. Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. How about there were false prophets also among the people? Even as there shall be false teachers among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying have the Lord Jesus that brought them had to bring upon themselves swift destruction and many shall follow had their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of and through covetousness they shall with feigned words make merchandise of you that's what gospel preaching has become in circles at my friend of commerce has become merchandise it's become business and the Bible said whose judgment now have a long time lingereth not and their damnation slumbereth not I tell you there's going to come a day when God's going to be fed up of man's foolishness and he's going to judge the world with righteousness amen Paul shows us the perversion of perilous times I'm going to move on quickly now Paul shows us the pattern of perilous times in verses 10 through 12 he says, but thou hast fully known, verse 10, my doctrine and manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Paul gives us a pattern during these perilous times. And he gives us a personal pattern. He said in verse 10, Thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, persecutions, and afflictions. They had followed Paul closely. They knew his life. They knew he was the real deal. Paul was not perfect, but he was committed and consistent. 1 Corinthians 11 and 1, he told him, Be you followers of me, even as also I am a follower of Christ. A real Christian with a real testimony is not without flaws, but the overall pattern of his life is worth emulating. His leadership is worth following in every area where he follows Christ. Paul didn't go completely without failing. But he said, as often as what I'm following Jesus, you follow me. Now, I'm scared of that. I don't mean for you, for me, I'm scared of it. Now, I'm not scared of following you while you're following Christ. I'm scared of talking too big, telling you to follow me. Because I know how frail and how weak and how filled with flaws that I am. But I'll tell you what it does. It puts a pressure on me. To press on in perilous times. And to be an example. I want to be. I'm not always the kind of person, brother, junior child to follow, but I want to be that person. And as often as what I am following Christ, it'd be suitable to follow me. And when I'm not, I would to God, you pray for me so that I would follow the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Paul gives us a personal pattern. I wonder what does your pattern say? When Peter walked down the street, after he was filled with the Holy Spirit, they would take people and put them in the street. They'd figure out what direction the sun was coming, lay them in the street, hoping his shadow would fall over them, and they would be healed. Peter cast a shadow that had the power of God in it. I wonder, does your shadow cast the power of God? Does this example of your life, following your life, could we see the power of God in it? Do you emanate the glory of God? Do you follow the precepts of His Word? Are you a follower of Christ and a disciple of the Lamb? God, help us to follow Jesus this morning. That others may follow us. Paul gives us a personal pattern, and then Paul gives us a persecuted pattern. Verse 11, he said, I endure persecutions, afflictions at Antioch, Iconium, Lystra. Persecutions I endured, but he said, the Lord delivered me out of them all. And he said, you also are going to live godly in Christ Jesus. You're going to suffer persecution as well. Jesus, Peter, James, John, and Paul were all persecuted. And there's no reason for us to expect to be exempted from persecution. Paul was persecuted at Antioch in Acts 13 and 15. How the Jews turned up devout and honorable women and chief men of the city and raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coast threw them out of town for preaching the gospel he faced persecution at Antioch or at Antioch at Iconium the multitude was divided part of them held with the Jews part of them held with the apostles and they made an assault on them oh my friend in the the city of Lystra in Acts chapter 14 verse 19 had Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people of Lystra this persecutions following them. Here's what I'm saying, friend. And they stoned Paul. And they drug him out of the city thinking he was dead. They wouldn't have left him alive if they'd known he was alive. They thought he was dead and they'd done away with him. Oh, my friend God, did not deliver him out of persecution. But he delivered him through persecution. He had to face it, but he faced it without fear and without complaint. And while he said, my friend in a Roman prison and the mice gnawed on him during the day and the lice gnawed on him during the night he wrote the book of Philippians and said rejoice evermore pray without ceasing oh thank God I rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice he wrote the word saying in whatsoever state I am in I have learned to be content it's not because he didn't have suffering It's because he had a Savior in his heart and in his life. He gives us a pattern to follow in our times of service. Perilous times. Personal pattern, a persecuted pattern. He gives us a persevering pattern. Verse number 11. He said, I endured. Will you? I endured. That doesn't just tell us that he suffered, but that he didn't stop. I endured. Second Timothy 2 and 3. Thou therefore endure also. You're supposed to endure. Surely is what I'm enduring. You're supposed to endure. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Second Timothy 2 and 10. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. My friend, he has endured. We can endure. You should endure. Stay put. Don't quit. Persevere. Pressing on in perilous times. 
Then finally, Paul not only shows us the perversion of perilous times and the pattern in perilous times, but he gives us a prescription for perilous times. Verse number 14, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. That hast, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise in the salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scriptures given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto good works. I thought about this chapter of the Word of the Lord on yesterday and that from a child that has known the Holy Scriptures. And in chapter number 1 of this same epistle, Paul said, I thank God in verse 3, whom I serve to my forefathers with a pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee be mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee which dwelt first in my grandmother Lois and in thy mother Eunice. And I'm persuaded that is in thee also. He said from the time you were just a little boy, your mom and your grandmama taught you about God and the Bible and they had faith in Jesus and they know you have faith in Jesus too and you're the fire. And my friend, press on in perilous times. Don't give up to the end of this race. I thought about these verses yesterday as we went in the house, my grandmother's house there in Luba, in Oregon. It's that old pump organ that my great granny Hicks used to play that I've talked about so many times. Sat on cinder blocks in a little old house with a dirt floor. And she'd sit up on that organ and pump those pumps. And it's, uh, Brother Thomas yesterday said it's like a, it's like a pedal operated accordion. And it sort of is. Pumping those pumps makes the air go through it like a set of bagpipes or an accordion. And you pump the pumps and play the songs. And whenever we started the movie, we took the big decorative top off of it with those old screws that were in it almost rusted in two. And we disassembled it. And the jade got on one end of it and I on the other and grabbed the handle. I threw our shoulders into it and pressed between us, lifted that big organ up out of the house into the trailer, back home down to mom and dad's house. And I set it back up again. And as we were disassembling it yesterday, my dad reached in and took the uh, thing that holds the book up, holds the books up. This the book holder like this is on the piano, and he took the the, the pen out of it to take that off. And one side had a screw as in the pen, and the other side was just a bent rusty nail holding that in. And when he did, he discovered behind that had an open cabinet way about this big, about the size of a shoebox, and in that was. All the new books from the 1930s and the 1940s that my great grandma used to play and sing out of. And it had songs when they first were printed. Have songs, many of which are in our church hymnal now. When they had first been released in paperback. Stamps Baxter, my friend. Others, other publishers like this. And on the pages were written her marks and her notes. And the covers were tattered and torn. But 1934, songs of praise. Uh, 
was an humble heart. And that book was tattered and torn and aged with time. But are you listening? That faith that was in your grandmother and in your mother. And I'm persuaded it's in you also. I can go an extra generation. Twentieth century, and never lose faith in the Lord. We can make it through our portion and do the same, even in this day. Press on in perilous times. Continue thou in the things thou hast learned and been assured of. Oh, it's real, and I know it's real. Before I ever knew anything they taught at the Bible College, before I ever knew what the word hermeneutics was, before I had ever heard of soteriology, before I had ever heard of eschatology, before I knew anything about those big theological words, or even knew what the word theology was, I knew what it was like when the presence of the Holy Ghost (laughs) would come into of God's people. I knew what it was to see the granny women shout, the bodies off of their hair, and the bobby pins fly out, and hear God's people praise the Lord. I knew what it was to see them full of God at the church and at the house. I knew what it was to hear a man of God preach with power and demonstration of the Holy Ghost. And my friend and I will not shirk this thing, but I'm trying to press on Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Some of them old preacher men that pastored us and prayed for us couldn't hardly read their names. Some of them, my friend, had just a working knowledge of the scriptures that they were familiar with, but yet they preached under such anointing and power. I am not glorifying ignorance. I'm telling you they did the very best they could. And still they had shortcomings because of the time in which they lived and because of the culture and circumstances that they faced. But they didn't let it cause them to quit. And they didn't stop serving God. My little granddaddy would stand up there and read on about a fifth grade level. And he'd call a word 
scriptures and what he was reading were not even in the scriptures. But he was doing the best he could. Oh, and he knew he was weak and he knew he was small. And he trembled the whole 60 years or so he preached. Oh, but when the big preacher would show up and when the anointing had come down and when the power of God would come on him. Woo! Oh, I was talking the other day to some preachers. Most of them go by doctor. Most of them have PhDs or THDs or DDs. Oh, my friend behind their name. And yet one after another other group of about 40 or 50 that were part of a group conversation. Oh, my friend, a great number of them said, Brother Toby, I was just a little boy or a young man at this church or that church when your great-granddaddy was a preacher and showed me how to know Jesus. I was just a young man when your grandmother and your grandfather come out there in the old Oldsmobile and picked me up from my house and brought me to the house of God. My granddaddy never had to worry about a Ph.D. or a D.D. or an M.D. or a Ph.D. He knew nothing of any of those. Wouldn't even know what they stood for. But those men who have those degrees, he went out and found them when there's laws and told them about Jesus and discipled them in the Scriptures. And my friend, they're still serving the same faith that he taught them 50, 60 years ago. I'm saying press on in perilous times. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'd like to think, I may not be right, but I'd like to think that I've learned something, not much, but something in the last 30 years of trying to study the Bible. I'd like to think that I have. And I'm certain, no, for certain I've not learned as much as I need to. But I'm going to tell you, out of all honesty this evening, or this afternoon, morning, whatever time it is, I don't know. It doesn't matter. I don't even know what day of the week it is half the time anymore. And I'm not the only one who's got that problem. Some of y'all don't either. And uh, in all honesty, I don't have people come to me as, as often and say, you know that real deep challenging message you preach such and such time, this time, that time, whatever else. That's when I got my heart right with God. and That's when things changed in my life and all that stuff. I don't get much of that. But have people come to me and say, I remember when you were 15 years old, you came weeping and preaching over at this little church in a trailer, that little place in a school bus, out by the campfire at the barber shop, when you stood on the street corner as a teenage boy and wept before us and took the Word of God, quoted a verse of Scripture, and preached until your voice was gone, and you couldn't speak above a whisper. It didn't take very long. And today, seven, that's when I turned my heart life over to Jesus. And now I'm serving the Lord, and now I'm pastoring a church, and now I have a family, and I'm teaching my boys and girls about Jesus. Oh, listen to me, child of God. More than what we need, books and learning and things and buildings and finances. We need the Holy Ghost in our lives. We need the anointing of God. We need the power of the Lord. We need a commitment to Christ in these days. Oh, God, help us. Take a little dime store Bible. <laughs> didn't have onion skin pages. Didn't have piles of commentaries. Didn't know what it was even study and put an outline together. Made notes on a bubble gum wrapper. And if I friend hide it in my Bible, maybe. Oh, thank God, it's tried to prove. 
leaves. Wallow on my belly in the leaves beside the creek bank. And ask God to come on my life. <laughs> oh, bless His name. Bless His name. Bless His name. Continue now. Hello. How did we get this far? By the grace of God, through His power, and through His might. And that's how we're going to make it home. Continue in the word of, in the wisdom of God. Not in your own wisdom or your own abilities. Study to show yourself approved unto God. Oh, thank God. Continue in the Word of God. Hallelujah. That Scripture is given by inspiration of God's prophet for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction of righteousness. The man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Oh, thank God. Then Jesus said to those Jews that believed on Him, Yet to continue in My words, then you are My disciples indeed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And i got news for you. There's nothing wrong with it now. I didn't learn that verse at Bible college. I learned that verse at Bible school. <laughs> thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Those things that God put into you as a child. Continue in the word of God. Continue in the work of God. Verses 1 through 5 of chapter 4 is the charge to the preacher. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick of the dead at His appearing at His kingdom. Preach the Word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Why should we continue? Because the Lord will judge the quick and the dead. Because the Lord will appear. So judge the quick and the dead of His appearing. Because the Lord will set up a kingdom. His appearing and His kingdom, the verse said. Our position in that kingdom will be related to our faithfulness to Him in this life of service. And the Word said, if we suffer with Him, we shall also reign with Him. Luke 9 and 62, And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. These are perilous times. But they don't call for quitters. I'm finished preaching. Come on with a song, please. They don't call for quitters. They don't call for weakness. They don't call for slackness. They don't call for giving up. These times call for people who are committed to Christ and willing to serve in the face of opposition. I'm asking you this morning, will you press on in these perilous times? Or will you, will you be a casualty of the spirit of the age? I want to tell you what I believe the spirit of the age is. The spirit of our time, especially amongst the church people that are wavering. It is the spirit of do nothing. It's the spirit of give up. It's the spirit of quit. It is the spirit of having done all we can do. Therefore, instead of standing, we just lay down. It's not the spirit of, I don't believe God. It's not the spirit of, I don't think the Bible's true. It's not even the spirit of, that Jesus couldn't save anybody. It's the spirit of apathy. It's the spirit of sitting and just waiting for Jesus to come back and thinking there's nothing left for us to do. 
It's the spirit of thumb twiddling. It's the spirit of nothingness. And that's a depressing way to live. Life under the sun without serving the Lord is vanity and vexation of spirit. There is no purpose to this world at all if there's not an eternity. Since there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun and a God to answer to in the last day, we have purpose and cause to live our lives and to live a full one. The spirit of nothingness should never take over the life of the child of God. You matter this morning. Your life matters. Men are jumping off of bridges, hanging themselves, blowing the brains out because they think nothing matters. But I'm telling you, you matter this morning. The Lord loves you. And I love you. And you matter. You matter to God. You matter to the people around you. You matter to the church. You matter to the preacher. I will not do it this morning because I'll behave responsibly. But if I could, I'd reach out and grab every one of you and just hold just tight as I could. Hug your neck and tell you how much I love you. You matter. Somebody cares and somebody's depending on you. These boys and girls watch your life. Some of you are on the downhill of things. You've already hit the crest and maybe are headed towards the end of the journey. But there's some people behind you that's watching you. And they need you. They need to see your faith. They need to see your steadfastness. They need to see you being the man and the woman that God has purposed for you to be. Some days in recent times have just ripped my insides out. Some days just do much more to me than that than normal. My wife sat down this week and was having a difficult day. Both of us were. She sat down this week and just sat in my lap. And she cried and she said, You know why you're so troubled? Because you're a real man. And they're hard to find anymore. I don't know if she's right or not, but I sure am trying to validate her opinion. God, help us. You know why? That some of us are so burdened for the lost. You know why? That some of us just, our hearts break for where? Our world stands and where we are because eternity is real. And because while men are slipping out into eternity, they've forgotten about the voice of the gospel. The perilous times. It does not, I want to say something this morning, it does not make me want to quit. Is anybody listening? It does not make me want to quit. The spirit of the age is nothingness. But the person that dwells in me is not the same as he that dwells in the world. And the man that's down inside of me cries aloud and says, Sound the trumpet. Jesus is coming soon. 
says, hold on, child. It won't be long. The man on the inside of me says, I can almost see the lights of that city. The man on the inside of me says, he'll roll you over the tide. He'll safely see you through. He's still on the throne. Serve on, preach on, go. Love God. Set an example. Tell the word Jesus is coming soon. Troubles will soon be over. Happy forevermore. When we reach on that shore, free from all care, rising up in the skies, telling this world goodbye. Oh, I'm telling you, Jesus is coming soon. And that man inside of me rises up and says, Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. The Lord is coming back. The Lord is coming back. Maranatha. Maranatha. Even so come. Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Serve Him till it comes. Everybody stand. If you need to pray this morning. Sister Tanya is going to sing. We have plenty of room in these altars. This building is 50 feet wide. For you to find a place of prayer. If you need to pray. Sing for us when you're ready. I preach what God put on my heart this morning.